Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, now as we come to this time of, of worship, Lord, we want to worship you with our minds. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. And Lord, through your word, teach us about worship. We have so many different ideas about what worship looks like, but Lord, you have, have shown us your expectations for worship. So Lord, let us see a glimpse of that today. May we model our worship after your word. So speak to our hearts today. Speak to our minds today, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope you do, turn with me to Psalm 95. Psalm 95. If you do not have your Bible with you, then I invite you to take the Pew Bible there, and you can t turn to page 467. 467 in the Pew Bible. And if you do not have a Bible, then we invite you to take that Pew Bible with you, and that's our gift to you. We want everyone to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and, and read it, use it. Psalm 95. Uh, as we, we look at this psalm today, uh, we, we think, think about the, the term worship wars. I mean, there's, that, that term is problematic, isn't it? We hear it a lot these days, and over the past few, uh, few decades, we've heard the term worship wars. But that's just, uh, it doesn't sound right. I mean, that's a, 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 that's a good example of an oxymoron, right? I mean, those words don't go together. And, and really, if there's a war over worship, then not much worshiping is really getting done. At, at least not worship of the one true God. You see, the assumption when it comes to worship wars is that worship is about styles, about genres of music. But you see, that's the, the, the focus is all off. That's not what worship is about. In fact, music is not worship, right? Uh, that's what a lot of people associate with worship. Worship is, is music. It's the songs that we sing. But, but music's not worship. It's a tool in worship, but music is not worship. Brother Larry's title is, is Minister of Music, not Worship Pastor, because he's leading us in music. But, but worship is much more than just the music. This is a part of worship. When we not only open our hearts to God, but we open our minds to His Word. So we have to get our heads around what true worship is looks like what it is if we are to to worship if our worship is to, to be worth anything see we must first start by focusing our worship on the right person and then we must worship in accordance to his word in the way that he has set out for us to worship so today as we, we look at Psalm 95, Psalm 95 is an invitation to us to come and worship the Lord our God. And, and that's the, the whole point of today's message. I want this to be an invitation to you to come and worship the Lord our God. And so as we dig into this psalm, 
We're going to, first of all, consider the who of worship. Then we're going to look at the how of worship. And then we're going to end with a warning for worship. So the who, the, the how, and the warning of worship. And my prayer today is as, as we, we hear the voice of the Lord calling to us, calling us to come and worship the Lord our God. So today's Psalm, Psalm 95, let me just kind of give you a little of the context here. Psalm 95, we don't know who the author is. It's not given in the text to us. Don't know who the author is. Don't know when the, the text was written, when the psalm was written. But we do know that it is a, a psalm of praise that was used in worship in ancient Israel, whether in the temple or in synagogues around but it was used in worship, and it was used as an, an invitation, a call to worship, if you will. That's why it begins with, come, let us sing to the Lord. It's a call to worship. And there's three parts to this psalm, and I, as we read it here in a moment, I want you to, to see if you can note, recognize the three parts. First, there's a call to worship the God, the Creator. Then there's a call to worship the God, our Savior. And then it ends with a warning for worship. So remember those as we read the text. And if you found your place there in Psalm 95, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is our great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as at Meribah or on the day at Massah in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof. Though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Well, as we look into Psalm 95, as we begin to dig into the text, first let's consider the who of worship, the who of the worship. Who do we come to worship? We come to worship the one true God, 
the one true God. There is only one God. And it's He who we come to worship. Notice there in that first verse. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us sing to the Lord. Now, now look in your Bible. Make sure you look at that. Notice that uh, probably in your Bible, Lord there is all capital letters. Right? It's all capital letters. If it's not, you might need to get a different translation. It should be in all capital letters if Lord is there. Uh, the reason that that word is in all caps is because uh, there the Hebrew word behind that word Lord it is the proper name for God. It's the proper name for God. It comes from the name that God gave Moses when Moses said, who do I say has sent me? When I, when I go to Egypt, when I come to bring your people out of Egypt, who do I say sent me? And he says, tell them I am sent you. I am sent you. It's the, the Hebrew word, or comes from the word hayah, uh, uh, hayah, which means I am or I exist. And so when God told Moses who he was, he says, I'm the God who's always existed. I've always been, I always have been, I always will be. I, there's never a time that I won't be. I am. And, and the proper name for God is a derivative of that verb, I am. Now, in the, the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the, the people of God, the Israelites, they didn't want to, to take any chance of taking the name of the Lord in vain because the law says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And so they didn't want to take his name in vain. So as they began to translate it down over the years or, or uh, pass it down, copy it over the years, they took out all the vowel markers in the name of God. And then when they would come to read the name of the Lord in, in the temple, in their synagogues, whenever they came to the name, they didn't want to pronounce the name lest they might happen to take his name in vain. So instead, when they came to that name, they would say Adonai, the Hebrew word for Lord. And so the English translations, most English translations, keep that same kind of tradition. And so instead of writing out what some would call uh, Yahweh today. Uh, some translations may put in that name Yahweh because that's a, a kind of a, a transliteration, if you will. But uh, most English translations kind of keep that same tradition and they'll put Lord in all capital letters. But when you come to that name, when you come to the name Lord in all capital letters, you, you have to keep in mind that as you're reading, that is the proper name of God that is there. And so this is not some other God that, that they're talking about here. This is a specific God. This is the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of David. This is Yahweh. This is the Lord God Almighty who made a covenant with the people of Israel. This is their God. This is the one God. Isaiah Chapter 46, verse 9 says, I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. There is no other God but the Lord our God. And he makes that clear as you continue on down there. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 begins to define who this God is. Right? Come, let us sing to the Lord 
But then it defines who he is for the Lord, the proper name of God, the Lord is a great God and a king above all gods. Now, the text is not saying here that there are other gods, but there is this recognition that other nations, they had their man-made gods, right? They had Zeus and uh, uh, Artemis and all of these other gods, right? They, they knew all of these gods were out there, the Baals and the Molechs and, and all of those gods. They are, are man-made gods. They're out there. Other people worship these, these uh, statues of stone and wood. They recognize that those people out there, but they're saying, our God is the king of all other gods. He is above all other gods because there is no other God. He is the one true God. He is the Lord our God. Not only is he the, the God of all gods, but notice then he gets into this, this here. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. You see, we worship the one true God who is the creator. We worship the creator God. He created all things. He created us. He gives us life. He gives us being. He sustains us. He is God the creator. But not only is he the God of creation, but he is also the God of salvation. Again, look at that second portion of the, the text there. Verse 6, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Our maker. Now, when you see that our maker, they're talking in a sense uh, other than creation at this point. He is our maker. This Israelite person who is writing this song, he is saying he is our maker, but he's talking in a sense of God being their Savior. And he clarifies that as he moves down into verse 7, 4, because he is our God. Right? He's, he's not their God. He is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand this is the God the covenant God of Abraham who promised Abraham that through your seed all of the nations of the earth will be blessed and through your seed I will will bring a people I will create a people for myself this is the God who who made a people for himself by bringing salvation to his people he uses this language of a, a shepherd, a shepherd who, who calls in his flock, who keeps his flock in close to him, who provides for his flock and protects his flock. And then isn't that what God does for his people? He provides what we need most of all. He provides our salvation by sending the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, so they did not know, they didn't know, they didn't see the clear picture, they didn't see the full picture. Praise God, we get to see the full picture today. But the God who made that covenant with Abraham and with David is the God who fulfilled that covenant, that promise, by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, 
who was the son of Abraham and was the son of David in the flesh. And he came and provided what we could never provide for ourselves. Salvation. Because he came and, and bore our punishment for our sin. Because he came and bore the full wrath of God on Calvary's cross. We are able to enter the fold of God. By God's grace through faith in Jesus. He is our Savior, the God of our salvation. And we worship Him. We praise Him. Because not only did He create us, but He saved us. And He brought us into His kingdom, into His fold. And He watches out for us and protects us. But it's only through Jesus Christ that we can come and worship Him as God. For John 14, 6 says, uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, the only way we can worship God the Father is through Jesus. By trusting in God's way of salvation, Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone that we come to worship God. So let me tell you, friend, if you're here today and you're not, you're not worshiping God through faith in Jesus Christ, you're not worshiping God. You're not worshiping the one true God. All of the other peoples out there in the world, they may worship a God, but if they don't worship through Jesus Christ, they are not worshiping the one true God because only through Jesus do we worship God. Let me tell you, the Jew today who does not trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they may worship their own God, but they don't worship the true God of the Bible. Muslims say that they are, they are kin to we Christians, that we worship the same God. No, they don't. Allah is not the same God. Because the path to Allah is not through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to God except through Jesus. And don't you know this is the most hated doctrine in the world today? One of the most hated Christian doctrines in the whole world today is the exclusivity of Christ. You see, if, if Christians would just say that Jesus is a way, and there are denominations today that say Jesus is a way, right? Right? Unfortunately, some, some of the, the old denominations that, that used to be so faithful to Christianity have gone the other way, and they, they've come out and publicly announced that Jesus is a way, but that's not Scripture. Jesus is not a way. He is the way and the only way. If we would just say He is a way, oh, the world would love us. God says Jesus is the way and the only way to God. And so we worship the one true God by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the only way to God. Oh dear friend, when we come to worship, we come to worship God and God alone. It's all about God. 
when we come to worship, it's all about God. Here, here's where we get off track, right? Because we can say amen to, to we come to worship the one true God. We come to worship through Jesus Christ. We can say amen, hallelujah to that. But here's where we get off. Here's where we get off track. What's this? We get off track when we start making worship about our preferences and our desires. Hear me. Because when, when worship is about you and your desires, guess who is the center of worship? You are, not God. When we have to have this song sung or I can't worship, then worship is not about God. It's about that song, and it's about us. That's not what worship is about. Oh, yeah, you're worshiping something. You're worshiping someone. You're worshiping yourself. Worship, true worship. It's about worshiping the one true God. That means you got to put yourself aside. you got to push your preferences, your desires aside, and you focus all of your attention on the glory of God Almighty who is your creator and Savior. If that's not the focus of your worship, you're worshiping the wrong God. We must come to worship the one true God. The one true God is the only focus of our worship. So the who of worship is the one true God. Next we see the how of worship. The how of worship. The how of worship, we worship through celebratory reverence celebratory reverence I, I just kind of formulated that word to kind of sum up what what I, I see taking place in the text celebratory reverence all right there's a balance in those terms right celebratory but reverently celebratory reverence and we see that as the text works its way out. He begins right off the bat showing us how we are to worship. We're to worship, first of all, with celebrative joy. Celebrative joy. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us make a joyful noise. How do you explain that? I mean, I, I kind of sit there for a while thinking about joyful noise. What is he talking about? What is, that, what is that getting at? I mean, yes, he's talking about singing. And we've always heard people say, oh, well, you don't have to sing in tune. You don't have to be able to carry a tune in a bucket or whatever. Just make a joyful noise unto the Lord, right? And there's truth to that. But, but what's the point? What is he getting at? Worship should be celebrative it's to be joyous it's to to celebrate who God is it's it there's there's a celebration that's going on right there's an openness to it we're just bursting forth with praise to God because we can't contain it anymore there's an openness there's a, a shamelessness to it not worrying about what everyone else thinks I think about David, 
King David in, in 2 Samuel 6 as he's bringing the, the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and he's dancing before the Lord. And there's no shame in him whatsoever. He's praising his God. He's loving his God. He doesn't care who knows it. He's dancing before the Lord. And then he goes into his wife, Micah. Micah said, boy, didn't you make a spectacle of yourself today? Oh, how you honored the king today, all right? But David didn't care. He was shameless in his celebration to the glory of the Lord. And that's, we should do that. I mean, it's hard, right? It's hard. It took me years to kind of just break free as much as I have. Because, you know, I'd be like, man, I want to raise my hands. I want to clap. But mm, somebody might notice. What are they going to say back there on the, the third to the back pew, right? Well, what are they going to say about me if I raise my hands? But, you know, we just got to learn to let go of that anxiety and, and praise God. Now, I'm not saying you got to raise your hands to praise God. No, you, you do what, what feels right to you, right? You, 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 you celebrate how, how, in whatever way you, you do celebrate, whether it be raise your hands, clap, or, or whether it is just standing there and just singing. Whatever it is, but it, but it needs to be a, a, a shamelessness to it, an openness to it, to just pour out whatever's in your heart to praise God. So there's celebratory joy, there's celebrative joy that comes in that. Think about it like this. Think about if you're, you're there at your ball game and your kid's playing softball or baseball or, or whatever and, and your kid hits a home run right? Your kid hits a home run. What are you going to do? Sit there and say, mm, man, nice hit. No. Woo! Good girl! Woo! That's my girl right there. Look what she did. Yeah! You're going to celebrate. You're going to celebrate. We got an awesome God. Why don't we celebrate our awesome God? Praise God for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he great? Isn't he mighty? Amen. Celebrate God. Celebrate God. But we also worship with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Uh, you make a joyful noise, but then verse 2, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Just simply thanking God. Thank you, Lord God. Oh, what have you done for me? I mean, you've given me life. You sustain my life. You provide food. You put food on my table, clothes on my back, roof over my head. Everything that I have, Lord, is yours. Thank you. And if that weren't enough, you saved a wretched sinner like me. You looked down and you had mercy on me. You died for me. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, we should be coming into the presence of the Lord with wonderful thanksgiving. Third, we worship with acclamation. We worship with acclamation, that is with praise, right? Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. The praise means to, to acclaim who he is, to proclaim who he is. 
to worship God because he is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, because he is all-powerful, almighty God. He is creator, sustainer of all things. You come and you praise him for who he is. Great is thy faithfulness, we sang a couple of weeks ago, right? That's proclaiming who he is, his great faithfulness. But just declaring out loud who God is. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, the angels, the angels illustrate this for us, don't they? As the angels are, are flying around the throne of God, they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. That's praising God. Praising God for being God. He's holy, holy, holy. He's the Lord of hosts, creator of all things. He alone is worthy of our worship. But not only do we worship in celebrative joy and thanksgiving and acclamation, but, but here this balances it out a bit. We've got to worship with reverence. This is important, right? We've got to worship Him with reverence. Notice what he says on down a little bit there in verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Notice those words there. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. You see, bowing down, kneeling, those are postures of, of reverence to the Lord. They're postures of humility. You see, we've got to be very careful here. Because when we talk about uh, celebrative joy, when we talk about all those things, I mean, we can take it to the extremes. Because a lot of people take it to the extremes. Anything goes, right? We can just worship God however we want to, whenever we want to, just, just whatever. Anything goes. And, and that's not what we see in Scripture. That's not what we see in Scripture. God is a God of order, and he has shown us how to worship. In fact, uh, Nadab and Abihu, they didn't follow God's order of worship, and what happened? They offered up strange fire on the altar, and God came down and consumed them with fire. We've got to be careful. There's got to be reverence to how we worship God. There's got to be order to it. You see, there, there are those out there today who anything goes, right? You can run around the sanctuary. You can just do whatever. If it feels good, do it. They just bring that into worship and just do anything goes. God says, no, no, no. Oh, yes, you, you celebrate. You raise your hands. You clap. You shout hallelujah. You do all of these things. But at the same time, you've got to balance that out. There's got to be a sense of reverence because I am holy. I am holy. I am the Lord your God. See, you don't run up to the president and just pat him on the back like you do your old buddy. Hey, good old buddy. No, you talk to the president with reverence. I know these days that does it, it's not so much. Unfortunately, the, the president doesn't get the reverence he deserves, I think. But, but you see the point, Right? God is a holy God, and we don't just approach God any old way, but we approach Him with reverence. That's 
worship and bow down. Let us kneel before him. Let us worship him in reverence. You think at a ball game. Coming up on football season, think about a ball game. Now, there's a lot of worshiping that goes on at ball games, isn't there? And at a ball game, anything goes. You see the guys out there, they're shirtless and they're painted gold or blue or purple or whatever their team color is, right? And got whatever numbers or words, and anything goes. Woo, la, 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 yeah, run around. But that's not the way we worship God. All right, so nobody come in here with their belly painted blue next week. Right? That's not how we worship God. There's reverence to it, there's order. We do that. We celebrate. We cheer. We shout. We clap. We do all of that to praise God, but we balance that with reverence because He is a holy God. We see this in Revelation. Revelation chapter 4. I know we've read parts of this already, but it's just a beautiful scene of worship in heaven. As the Apostle John looks to heaven, he sees the, the living creatures there, the four living creatures uh, flying around the throne of God, and they never cease to say, they never cease to shout out just what they were, were shouting out in Isaiah. Now they're still shouting out in Revelation, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then when they, they shout that out, then the 24 elders, they cast down their crowns before the throne and they bow down and worship God and say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. I mean, they're just not saying this in, in monotone fashion. They're, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're celebrating, they're praising Him, but at the same time, they're doing it in reverence. They're not rushing the throne. They're bowing down before the throne. And then, the scroll comes out, and no one's worthy to open the scroll, and then the Lamb of God comes on the scene. Jesus Christ, He comes on the scene, and He stands there beside the throne of, of the Father, and the people shout out, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And they continue on. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and blessing. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That's how you worship. With a spirit of celebration. Acclaiming the praise of God. Giving thanks to God for all that He has done. But reverently before the throne of God. We worship God. We worship God with celebratory reverence. 
So we have the who of worship, the one true God. The how of worship, celebratory reverence. And finally we come to the warning of worship. The warning of worship. And the warning is harden not your heart. Harden not your heart. Look at that final section there, starting in the the last part of 7. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness. Now, this is referring to an incident that took place back in Exodus, Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, if you want to go back there and look later on. But when, when God brought the people of Israel out of, of Egypt, as they were going through the wilderness, first off, actually in, back in verse, uh, six, or chapter 16, it begins, because they come out and, and there's no food, they have no food, they're hungry, and they begin to grumble against God and say, oh, well, God, he has brought us out of Egypt and he's brought us into this wilderness and we're going to starve together. We're going to starve to death here. Oh, how we had meat in Egypt. And they murmur against God, and God is gracious, and he gives them the manna from heaven, the bread from heaven. All they got to do is go out there and pick it up. And if that weren't enough, he, he allowed quail to fly into the camp. And, and they didn't have to chase the quail down. They just went down there and picked the quail up and took it home and cooked it. And then, then they move on a little bit, and, and here they come. They're without water. Oh, now we're going to, oh, we got food, but now, now he's going to let us uh, die of thirst. That's why it's called, that's why the, Moses named the place Meribah and uh, Messiah. Meribah means quarreling. Messiah means testing. That's where they put God to the test. They doubted him. They quarreled with God because he, he wasn't providing. They never thought just to say, God, would you give us? You are our provider. Would you provide? No, they put him to the test. And so it says, do not harden your heart as they did on that day when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation. And said they are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore I said in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Oh, what a condemnation. Put me to the test. You are faithless. Because of your faithlessness, you shall not enter my rest. Hebrews clarifies the meaning of this. It interprets this for us. In Hebrews chapter 3, it quotes this, this section in 7 through 11, 3, 7 through 11, but then he begins to, to work it out a little. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if, notice this, if indeed we hold our original confession 
uh, our original confidence firm to the end. As it is written today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those that, who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness, and to whom he, did he, to whom he swore that he would, they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You see, think about that. These were people who saw God's salvation. They experienced God's salvation in a, in a way, physically. They experienced God's physical salvation as he brought them out of bondage, out of the, the land of Egypt, and, and began to take them to a promised land. But they were unfaithful. They didn't believe. They didn't trust God. Oh, they had gone through the motions, right? They had experienced God's saving work. They had seen it with their eyes, yet they did not believe. And the author of Hebrews says, be careful, church. Be careful lest you fall in such unbelief. You see, there's people in the church who've walked an aisle. And they've stood here and they've, they've said a prayer. There's people who have been baptized in the baptistry. There are people who have seen the saving work of God in other people's lives. They, they have participated in the work of God in the church, yet their hearts are still marked by unbelief. They don't truly trust God. Dear friend, maybe you are here today and you, you could have been in church your whole life. You've gone through all of the motions. And yet down deep inside, you know today, you don't believe. You don't truly trust God. Worship's been more about you than about God. Your whole life has been about you, not God. And God is sending out the warning Today, do not harden your heart. He's speaking to you. He's inviting you. Oh, come and worship. Believe, worship, believe, worship. Come to me, come to me, come to me. Don't harden your heart. Don't turn me off. Take action. Trust in me. Hear the warning. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Look to Him. Know Him. Trust His saving grace. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then rest in Him. Rest in Him. Only when you trust Him 
and you then rest in Him and find peace and joy. Surrender to Him today. Don't harden your heart. Have you heard the voice of the Lord today? Have you heard Him calling? Don't harden your heart. Maybe you've heard the voice of the Lord telling you today that you haven't been worshiping God as you ought to worship Him. You've been making worship about you and about your preferences. You've been going through the joyless motions of, of worship, but you haven't poured out your heart in praise to Him. Do not harden your hearts. Repent and come and worship the Lord our God. Or maybe you have heard the, the, the voice of the Lord calling you, telling you, you haven't been worshiping the true God. You've been worshiping yourself. You've been worshiping the things of this world. You've been worshiping all of these other things, but you have never worshiped God because you've never trusted in Jesus Christ. Dear friend, do not harden your heart. Repent. Trust in Jesus Christ. And come and worship the Lord our God. Oh, Heavenly Father, We thank you for this wonderful invitation to come and worship. And Lord, we just confess how often we make worship about so many other things, about ourselves, about uh, our friends, about the people around us. But Lord, I pray today we hear your voice and we said all of those things, all of those distractions, all of those uh, temptations aside. Set aside every sin. And fall down upon our face and worship you as the one true God. Because you and you only are worthy of worship and honor and praise and glory. I know, Lord, I pray that the lost who are here today would hear your voice calling, come to me, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Lord, let them respond in faith and come to truly worship you through Jesus Christ. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.